Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, in today's show, I had the pleasure of interviewing Daniel Foch and Nick Hill, both podcasters and hosts of the Canadian Real Estate Investor. I really enjoy their informative and data-driven podcasts. I found that one hour definitely wasn't enough time for all the questions I'd love to have been able to ask them. I tried to hit them up with a variety of questions that they may not have been asked in other shows. If you spend any time listening to their podcasts, you already know that they spend an enormous amount of energy and time creating some of the best real estate investing content that's out there. It was a real honor to have them on my show. They're definitely super interesting and knowledgeable. I know you're definitely gonna enjoy the show. Hey guys, super excited to have you on the show today. I got two great guests that I've been looking forward to having on. I've got Daniel Foch and Nick Hill here today. And I'm excited to be talking to you guys. You know, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule and being on the show. I know a lot of people in the real estate world already know who you guys are. They know about your podcast, but maybe we just start off. If you guys could just give us some information, maybe something that you haven't shared on another show. Tell us about yourself and how you got where you are today. For sure. Yeah. I mean, really appreciate the invite, Corey. Um, I don't really know. We're both pretty much open books. I don't want to speak for Dan because I know he's got a whole bunch of deep, dark secrets, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, just happy to be here. Nick Hill, real estate investor, podcast host, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I'm sure we'll be, uh, you know, diving deeper into things as the podcast progresses. So Dan, why don't you throw me under the bus here with anything that you want to say? <laughs> Yeah, uh, my name's Daniel Foch. I am uh, Nick's co-host on the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm a small cap real estate investor myself. I've been fascinated by the asset class and the industry and pretty heavily involved in it for the better part of my life now, actually. And, you know, just really excited to be bringing content to Canadians focused on real estate investing. And that's kind of what I've been doing as like my primary marketing tactic, let's call it, as a real estate professional for the past five-ish years. And it's really kind of just coming to a head where, you know, Nick and I have built quite an audience of people who are interested in being part of that conversation, really data-driven, really focused on macro transparency, informed decision-making, you know, risk management, stuff like that. All the exciting stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. And Daniel, you're a realtor, is that right? In the GTA? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a real estate broker. Yep. Have your own brokerage. Uh, so uh, No, I don't. I guess I'm an employee as a, uh, in the research department. So I run the economic research department at a brokerage called Rare Real Estate in Toronto. And I have my license there as well, which, you know, I do trade quite a bit. I sell mostly investment properties, small cap investment properties, and then small multifamily, and also a lot of like development land. So, you know, sites, land assemblies that end up eventually becoming condo developments, which is what most of the stuff in Toronto is. And we do a lot of debt and equity brokerage on that as well. So like you're kind of equity placement would be like strapping family offices to developers would be probably the most common arrangement today. Yeah, uh, interesting. And so you still have boots on the ground then? You're still out looking at land and Yeah, I'm a, I'm a deal junkie, so yeah, yeah, I mean I don't know if I get to live without doing deals. Yeah, it's literally the best part of real estate is finding the deals, getting them done. It's still I think between Dan and I and the three other people we have on our team, we can't help it. For sure. And then Nick, you're a mortgage broker, so you guys bring both sides to the equation like together, which is awesome. Yeah, we got a pretty good dynamic between the two of us. And then, you know, I'm sure we'll get to this, but, you know, Dan and I could only do so much if it was just the two of us. We really rely on 
much smarter, more qualified people around us that we've brought in. So Dan and I are able to do what we think we're good at and what we love, which is educate and network and find deals and put people together. And then we, you know, we let the much smarter CPAs and property managers and paralegals do all the fun stuff in the background. Awesome. Yeah. You know, you basically have to, you only have so much capacity in a day, as you guys know. Exactly. It's also like one of my favorite things of in the wealth of nations, Adam Smith, you know, one of the godfathers of modern capitalism talks about the specialization and division of labor, right? Nick and I are, are like, you know, I mean, maybe if this was high school, so we'd be like club promoters, but, you know, we're very much like <laughs> promoters of an exceptionally good team that we have of executors. There's no way I could do what we do, sales and marketing for this business and do execution to the level that they do. And to be honest with you, confident that we have the best executors in the country. So, you know, it's not hard for me to go out and sell those individuals to our clientele. Amazing. Could you give our listeners maybe a bit of insight in how you kind of put that team together, how you guys basically vet and find the right people? Yeah, I think it was just like serendipitous, to be honest. Like it was just like we were sending deals back and forth and there were just synergy started gradually evolving. Like I was brokering a lot of land deals and Nick and I were doing the podcast together, which was like a completely separate project. And the land deals I was sending to an individual who he was a great friend of mine. He actually cold called me like maybe six or seven years ago now, seven years ago, I guess, just became good buddies. And we're always working closely together, referring deals back and forth. And then it, I think gradually the market just started to require more what we were doing, especially like on the family office side, somebody who had kind of like experience as an investment bank and John, our partner at land bank has, you know, connections from university and the investment banking space, the two CAs on our team, CA CPAs on our team. And so like it all just kind of evolved as we were really responding to the needs of our clients and kind of like backfilling that through our network of really capable executors that could meet those needs for clients. Yeah, for sure. I think it was also just, we all had goals and we were all quite vocal about those goals. And even from a transactional point of view, but from a personal point of view and from a door count and just all of that kind of stuff, we were all going, you know, like this. And we figured, you know, it, it kind of just became obvious that it'd be a lot harder to do it ourselves individually than it would be if we were able to team up and put our heads together and put our skill sets together and really allow each person on that team to focus on what they were great at and support everyone else. So as Dan said, we don't use that word often, but serendipitous, I think is a great way to describe it. Yeah, that's great. So let's talk about your podcast a little bit. So the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast what inspired you guys? And did you think it would have the impact and the lift maybe that it does today when you started about a year ago now, I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, we're actually, we're just about to come up to, uh, I think we're about a month, just maybe five weeks out from our one year anniversary, which is crazy to think. I got to owe it all to Dan, to be honest. He had a podcast that he had started during COVID. I guess he was just bored and kind of hopping on with similar to what we're doing right now, right? Hopping on with good people on Zoom and just having chats and and recording them. After Dan and I had become friends, you know, growing up, I wanted to be two different things, a race car driver or a talk show host. I drive a Hyundai Elantra right now. So obviously that didn't work out. But, uh, you know, I just love talking to people. I love networking. I spent years in business development in both construction and commercial real estate. And, you know, Dan and I had a pretty good dynamic back and forth. You know, he let me hop on for one episode and it went really well. So we just started to pull guests and we did that for probably eight months, maybe, you know, at one or two a month, inconsistent here and there. And, and it was a lot of fun. And everyone we have on became a friend and we did some deals out of it. And, you know, everyone there would pick up our call and then 
speaking of calls being picked up, Dan got a call from a gentleman named Braden Dennis, who is now our partner, and he's the co-host of the Canadian Investor, which is the biggest podcast, and they get like 150,000 downloads a month. It's just wild. He's like in his late 20s, and the guy's been podcasting since he was like 17. So he knows the space quite well. He reached out to Dan and was like, look, we've been getting a ton of requests to start a real estate podcast. They discuss stocks, bonds, capital markets, that kind of stuff. And he's like, we don't know anything about real estate. You know, can you hop on and do this? The thing is you need a co-host. Dan was like, I know a guy, I'm that guy. And uh, yeah, that was like, just like you said, you know, you always, there's a lot of pre-work that goes in these things. So yeah, we launched just about 10 and a half months ago, but had been working on it for over a year. And um, it's been probably the best decision I've ever personally made probably one of the best marketing plays that I've ever done. Dan and I both had multiple businesses throughout our lives. And I got to say, this is probably one of the most successful and definitely the most fun that I've ever had with the business. Dan, if you anything you want to add to that. No, I mean, I think you summarized it exceptionally well. That's kind of how things took off. I guess the, the one question that wasn't answered there was like whether or not we anticipated the level of success that right, we've had yeah. with it. I think we anticipated probably more success than we were having with the podcast prior but because yeah. we're going <laughs> yeah. on to a network and i don't even think the guys who helped us start it expected us to get on this trajectory like we really are just surprising ourselves every day and the community that's growing as a result of it and the support and the growth that's happening every day it surprises me and it brings me a lot of gratitude to just see the community that we built and connecting with other real estate investors across the country is something that we love so amazing yeah. do you think the timing also played in just the hunger for knowledge and just to have that you know that for, medium for, for sure to- to listen to it? Yeah. I mean, I'd say one of the things we've gotten most from people that have reached out. And again, we love when people reach out. I don't think there's been a person that's reached out that Dan and I haven't engaged with at least DMing back and forth or calls or, or to the extent where we're now doing, you know, deals across the country with listeners and people in our community. For me, I had listened to bigger pockets for like for a decade, right? And I had been really looking for something that was comparable in the Canadian market. And not to say that there's not amazing podcasts out there, right? I mean, Corey, you've got a great podcast. I was recently on your brother's podcast, who again has a great one. Dan and I have done, you know, a lot of Canadian podcasts. But the one thing that we did find missing was really that education based, that data driven, you know, that research driven, where it's, you know, Dan and I have only done, I think we're on episode 84 by this Friday, which is April 28th. And uh, I think we've only done like five interviews, right? And they've been industry specific thought leaders or, you know, essentially guys like Chip Wilson, the billionaire founder of Lululemon. So we've had so many people reach out to us and be like, you guys are feeling a void. And I've been looking for something like this. Bigger Pockets is great for the fundamentals, but you start talking about $100,000 purchase prices and, you know, 1031 exchanges and you lose a lot of the Canadian audience. So, you know, we're very happy. And to be honest, it's a bit of a dream come true anytime we get compared to Bigger Pockets. And as Dan endearingly put it, he's the clever one of the two of us. We're smaller pockets. So, <laughs> well, Nick, you said earlier you kind of wanted to be a talk show host, and you definitely have like the voice for it. Like when I'm working out, exercising, I'm listening to you guys, you definitely got a talk show host voice. And, and Dan, I think you do too. But Nick, your voice really just, I don't know, stands out to me. Dan's the brains of the operation. I guess I'm the voice. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm curious because it's a lot of work to put out a show every week, right? And for me, I've got to have guests on, I've got to plan, all that stuff, put, you know, have a template questions, that kind of thing. Plus do research. I'm not an expert on all these topics, right? So for yourself, I'm wondering like why the two a week? Because it seems like that's a 
extra long, you know, just a significant amount of work to try to pull that off. Yeah. I just think there's a lot of ground to cover. And I think consistency is key. Like, you know, for us, it's every day of the week, right? If you want to be a real estate investor, this has to be a daily thing that you're living and breathing. It's very much a job. It's very much a business. It's very much something that needs to be a constant reminder and a constant practice. And so, I mean, if I could do it daily, I would, and maybe we will one day, honestly, I say it to Nick all the time. I'm like, you know, I'd love to get to the point where I have a big enough audience that we could just sustain a daily show because like the real estate investing journey can be life-changing if you let it be, but you have to change your life to kind of let it change your life. Right. And to do that, it does become something that it really consumes you. And it's fine for people who want to kind of call it a side hustle or whatever, you know, or a lot of people are still thinking that they can get away with passive investing and buying one property. I mean, we don't believe in either of those things. I don't believe in passive income and I don't believe in real estate being a side hustle. It's a business and you want to run the business. You got to be in and working on the business every single day. So twice a week is probably us maybe not doing our listeners as much of a service as we want to, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I hope that's a sufficient answer. Well, yeah, it is. I just wanted to throw a few more points on there. You know, we're, I think, lucky for a few reasons. One, Canadians just love real estate. Two, the volatility that we've seen in the market over the last few years has not only given us a ton to talk about, but I think it's left the Canadian population wanting more than ever to understand these things, right? So, you know, we feel a lot of responsibility to report on all these things. And, you know, whether it's discussing evergreen fundamentals that will always be the same or late breaking news that, you know, that people are probably hoping to hear what we have to say about it. You know, we also touch on construction and labor and, you know, mortgage and financing. And, you know, within each one of those silos, there's so much to talk about. So, yeah, I mean, two a week, you know, they're about 40 to 60 minutes. And, um, you know, Dan has been throwing out the idea that we maybe get a third one in there. So we'll see. It's a lot. But, you know, as to reiterate what Dan said, we're doing the research and we're, you know, we're personally both fascinated with it regardless. So it's nice to be able to actually use that research and have a vehicle to get it out to everybody else. Great answer, guys. But honestly, when I asked that question, I honestly thought you might say, yeah, you know, we've been rethinking and we're probably (laughs) going to go to one show a week. But to hear that you would actually put out more is pretty amazing. Like, yeah, that's inspiring to think that because it's so much work to do these shows, right? So kudos to you guys for being hungrier to put out more content. So then I'm curious about the name, because I know when I was trying to start my, you know, figure out what name I was going to name my show, you know, did you have a name and did it change? I just want to kind of get some background just to Yeah. So we had like a, our old podcast had like a um, clever, you know, like real estate, like sounding show name. And, 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 you know, I think a lot of people kind of go that route. So it was called brick and mortar before, but then completely unrelated to that, like Braden, when he reached out from the Canadian investor podcast, didn't even know I had another podcast. So like that can tell you like how, (laughs) how like obscure it was. Right. And he was like, yeah, you you just call the show what it is. Like, he's like, that's how you do well, right? It's SEO, like brilliant marketer, like brilliant entrepreneur and business builder. So he really understands these things. And I just trusted his judgment from day one. And he said, you know, look, like YouTube is one of the biggest search platforms in the world. And, you know, if you title your things properly, then you will attract the right people. And it's the same thing with the name of a real estate show. You know, it's the Canadian real estate. So if you search Canadian real estate investing on the podcast platform, we're there. We'll see and, you there. Know, yeah. And so that's very self-explanatory. I like self-explanatory businesses, but it, like this is exceptional. You know, it's a very exceptional iteration of that. It's a long name, but you don't have to guess what it's about. 
For sure. And I went through that too. I was going to name mine. It was property profits podcast. I like the alliteration. I'm like, Oh, that's yeah, I like, yeah. I like that. Right. And then I kind of thought about it more. I did more Google searching, talked to my brother more about it. And then we just kind of just went very specific and just make it what it is, title it, what it is. People can find it. There's no confusion as to where you are, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I definitely have no regrets about that. I'm glad I, I did name it you know, the Calgary real estate investing podcast. Yeah. Sure. I think the SEO piece goes even further down when you like the further you niche, like somebody, you know, the other day was like, yeah, we've been thinking about starting a podcast and they're investors in this Canadian submarket. And I'm like, there is room on the market. If somebody's going to search Canadian real estate investing podcast, they're looking for general education. You know, the niche stuff is like somebody who is going to search Calgary real estate investing podcast, you know, Kingston, Ontario, real estate investing podcast. That guy's way closer to doing a deal than somebody who's searching Canada real estate investing podcast. So like you get a high intention market. It's much smaller, which is like everybody gets obsessed with the views, the ego, you know, all of these like dopamine metrics that we get hung on as content creators. But the reality is I'll tell you the best number. It doesn't even need to give you dopamine because it puts food on the table for your family is the numbers with the dollar sign in front of it. If you can make content that gives you those numbers, that's what matters. And like guys with the niche podcast are doing it. We talked to the Vancouver real estate guys. They were like, we get a good portion of our business from the show. Right. And that's a niche show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Niching down can be a great plan. And I think it's probably recommended in most cases is to niche down. You guys have hit pretty broad, but really it is Canada is a niche and, and you're yeah, Canada is very much a niche, right? Like yeah, you know, exactly. smaller than California and GDP and population. So for sure. And then like, cause you guys would look at all the data that comes in and who's listening and stuff. Obviously most listeners are probably in Canada, but are there some countries that you're kind of surprised that, Hey, we've got a huge following in this country. I'm so happy you asked because it's literally this is always, Nick's favorite thing. It's always fascinating. <laughs> yeah, like I've always loved data, but after teaming up with Dan, who is like Mr. Data, I've become even more obsessed with it. And it's a quite an impressive backend. We get to see who's listening from where, on what device, at what time of day, et cetera, et cetera. So we've literally got like the most random. I mean, I'm on it right now. We've got three listeners in Indonesia. We've got 12 listeners in Madagascar, 12 in Saudi Arabia. 38 in Mali, 67 in France, and then six in Russia. You know, I, mean, I don't know what Russians are doing listening to it in Russia, but, you know, it's fascinating. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the vast majority is Canadian. Then it would be, you know, a small percentage of Americans just in usually in like Texas, New York, California, and then kind of scattered throughout the rest of the states. But, you know, we've got a listener in Zimbabwe. So shout out Zimbabwe. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> uh, right. it's, it's really cool to see. I, I don't, you know, I don't know if they're expats or if they're people moving to Canada or if they're just love real estate so much that they, you know, came across it and gave us a listen, but uh, it's great it's, to see. I think it would probably be a mixture and they may have family here and, and maybe exactly. want, want, yeah. want to move here themselves kind of thing. Right. So I kind of want to know what's involved to prepare for your podcast. Like how many hours are you guys researching and how much time is that taking like to be ready for a show for sure um it's hard because some of them are just so ingrained in what dan and i do on a day-to-day -day basis that like we can easily talk about a certain subject matter we'll still like i think our audience expects us now to have whatever we say backed up by data by facts by anecdotes whatever it may be there's obviously some things, I mean, we're both active in our professions. We're both active investors doing deals on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, whether for ourselves or clients. 
So some of it is a little easier, but I mean, some of the episodes, I mean, as you said, we're not experts in everything either, but we try to become experts in as many things, or at least get as much of an understanding as we can so that we can relay that to everyone listening. You know, there's a lot of hours. It's hard to quantify, but I'd say a lot of hours overall go into the two episodes a week, you know, especially if they're more subjects that we're learning about as well. I don't even know five, six hours for an episode sometimes all the way down to, you know, an hour or two if we're both actively involved in something and have a really great understanding of it. Yeah, it would be similar. Like it would vary on the type of content. Like sometimes we'll do like, you know, we just did one on the Bank of Canada monetary policy report or like National Bank brings out this housing affordability monitor on a quarterly basis. Like when we have a good report to go through that we can kind of just like read from the report and then opine on it, you know, and have a little discussion about it. Those ones make it a little bit easier, but when it's like really presenting data in a very succinct fashion, it does become pretty time consuming for sure. Yeah, I bet. I'm just curious too, what makes your guys' partnership kind of just so great, like your dynamic on the show and just how you guys basically you share that information. What would you say is some of the things that make that work so well? I think like we like each other, like we get along, we both really love having this conversation and there's like really no jockeying to be like the leader or like the guy who said the thing, like nobody wants to like win, you know, like there's really like, we just put egos aside very early and like really arrived at a very clear consensus and shared vision on like what we were building and what we wanted to build. And we've never deviated from that. And it's there. We don't ever have to like wake up and ask if like we're heading in the right direction. Like we both know we're on the same train tracks heading there. And it's just like, who's throwing coal into the power plant of the train today. Right. (laughs) The only thing I would add to that is I think, you know, both inside the podcast and the content that we do together and outside in more of our business dealings that aren't, you know, open for everybody to see. I think Dan and I both really know ourselves and have come to know ourselves a lot over the last few years And within that, we've come to know our skill sets. You know, it's no secret. I think I'm a bit more the naive one of the two of us. And maybe naive is the wrong word. But I mean, I'm constantly blown away by Dan's understanding on a macro level of real estate and, you know, finances and just everything that we speak about. So, you know, he does a really wonderful job of being able to take things at a very high level. And then I think my role is again, to take those things that maybe some of our audience isn't understanding and kind of make them a little easy to digest for, you know, the person that's kind of just starting out or isn't familiar with a certain topic. For sure. Guys, this has been a great start to the show. We're kind of halfway in. I just wanted to like Thank you for diving into your podcast stuff. Now I'm going to start hitting you guys with some more like real estate investing kind Here of like questions. Just see what great information you guys share. So what are some common mistakes you guys, obviously you, you see lots of deals coming across your desk. You see, you know, kind of a wide variety of investors and experience. So what are some common mistakes you guys see with maybe what a new investor might be doing out there? I think the biggest one is not managing downside risk. And the biggest way that that takes shape is people modeling in capital appreciation and substantial capital appreciation, like as if, you know, your market has been volatile. Toronto's market's been, I mean, it's been volatile actually for the past five years. I would say like we saw a couple of blow-offs 2017 this year, et cetera. But then, you know, you that's speculation if your investment only makes sense if it's going up in value. And so we try not to encourage that. I think that's probably the biggest one that I see is that people will 
try and rationalize that a deal makes sense because they can model in 10% capital appreciation when the deal doesn't make sense. It doesn't cash flow, the cap rates off, whatever it is, right? The deal that cash flows, the deal that you bought at a good cap rate, it's going to go up with the market as well. So buy a good investment. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I take it one step back from that. And maybe this is for people that have just bought or just about to buy or in that, you know, analysis paralysis. Dan and I spend a lot of time talking to early stage investors. And I think one of the biggest issues is a lack of understanding as to what goes into an investment. And not only that, but how to pick an investment strategy, design a thesis and actually start to execute on it. So, you know, whether you have money or not, you know, you're interested in self-storage or maybe you want a sexy Airbnb that you can use on the weekends and, you know, or during the week and then rent that out. But, you know, maybe you want to convert a basement suite. Do I buy a duplex? Well, you can do any one of those, but guess what? You're not going to do any of them unless you start with one and unless that one is successful. So, you know, my advice always to real estate investors or people trying to get into real estate or people that are trying to buy their second property, whatever it is, is, is really drill down and figure out one, why you're doing it, what you want out of it, how long you want to hold that investment for. And then just really knowing your numbers and knowing what goes into, you know, owning and managing a property, whatever that property may be. And I think there's a lot of internet gurus and, you know, dreams that have been sold to people that real estate's passive and you can get other people's money and put it into a duplex and they'll manage itself and all that kind of shit. And that is just all false. And that's one of the reasons that we were so adamant about being, you know, really brutally honest on the podcast about what goes into, you know, Dan and I have dozens and dozens of doors and, you know, there's stuff literally going wrong <laughs> every week, multiple things going wrong every week. Right. So anyone that tells you real estate's passive, is lying, you know, and it's really on you. It's not the realtor, it's not the mortgage agent, it's not the appraiser, the contractor, it's on the owner, the investor to really know what needs to be done with that property, whatever kind of property it is. Great answer, guys. So now let's say you get a deal come across your desk. What are some important factors that you guys, you know, maybe maybe on a high level, what, what kind of things are you looking at to quickly assess? Is this worth digging into more or is this like a no deal? Is there some factors you guys would be looking at? Yeah, for sure. I mean, a few off the top of my head, you know, obviously run a cap rate calculation. You know, this is all assuming that, you know, you're buying in a location that you have already done the due diligence on. You're already like the demographics. You already understand the neighborhood maybe. But, you know, one of our major parts of our thesis is buying below replacement cost and have a good understanding of what's happening, right? Like what's the tenant profile like? What's the vacancy rate like? Yeah. I mean, there's so many things, Dan, you want to jump in and. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the big one to me is like, does it cash flow at a non insane loan to value? Like I would say, you know, I typically use 70 to 80%. I usually try and lean on like 70, 75% because I know that that's a scalable, sustainable recession proof leverage point that I can get to from some of the lenders that we work with. Is it cash flow positive at that? And is it cash flow positive enough that I can build up a reserve and it can have its own emergency fund? Will I have an emergency fund going into this deal? If, you know, I mean, in Ontario, you're getting, I've had a 16 month eviction before, right? It took me 16 months to evict somebody for a totally legitimate reason. 
So that's another big one. And then the next one is their ad value potential. I think Nick covered a couple other ones. You know, can I get it at a negative land value or basically can I get it below the replacement cost of the structure? So is it inefficiently priced? Like when you're talking single family detached, I mean, I don't buy single family detached, but you know, there are markets and there are markets like this in Alberta, actually, where you could buy a duplex and then you could buy an identical single family detached and the single family detached would be like, 10 or 20% more than the duplex. So as long as you can convert that duplex back to that single family house and net out, then you have a hedge, right? You have some risk mitigation. So that's a big one. That's a big way to determine whether or not there's inefficient pricing in a market is look at a duplex, find the closest comparable house that you can find. And you can see that, oh, the housing market, the marginal buyer, the end user is actually supporting this market right now. That's another one. And then again, cash flow, cap rate, like, you know, know the cap rates in your market and compare against what you would be buying. Is this performing well based on the market and my own rate of return? And like use discounted cash flow analysis. Like if you're a good investor in the stock market or you even through wealth simple or like Quest Wealth portfolios, you can go get 10% rate of return, model your deal as if and create a net present value calculation based on that you're an investor who can get 10% rate of return anywhere else and then see what that property is actually worth to you based on that discounted cash flow and net present value. Those are more sophisticated ways of looking at it. But like, sometimes you got to because like a lot of cases, people shouldn't even actually be investing in real estate. Like, and trust me, like I love investing in real estate, but it might not be the right thing for many people. Yeah. You know, once you start to scale another metric that I know a lot of people like to do is price per door which you know works a lot, but also doesn't. One of the main things I wanted to touch on that Dan just said is the add value piece, right? I think every investor, especially when you're starting out, you got a couple of properties, you need to be figuring out a way to add value to that property in whatever way possible, whether it's a basement suite, painting it up, like painting the whole thing, figuring out how to rent the garage out, whatever that may be. I'm going to use this quote right now that I literally always use from probably one of my favorite Outside of, of course, Daniel Foch, the only other guy you need to follow on Twitter is Strip Mall Guy, Real Estate Trent, who's an anonymous account, but just an incredible follow. And his pinned tweet is, I don't buy real estate because I think the value is going to go up. I buy real estate because I can make the value go up. So when you really think about it, it's pretty profound. And I think that essentially sums up real estate investing in, you know, two sentences. So we may as well call the podcast right now. (laughs) I feel like that's one you can crack open. You can crack that one open a little bit too. Cause like, I think that we are about to go through a Renaissance period. I actually like last night I had dinner with one of the biggest missing middle developers in your market in Calgary, Al from round square. And you know, they're doing amazing stuff in that market. He's probably one of my favorite developers in the world, building absolutely beautiful projects. But we're through this renaissance period where the government is putting more and more policy in place for infill, for the addition of units in single family houses, for garden suites, for uh, missing middle housing. And Strip Mall Trent talks about these in in the context of strip malls. Like literally, can I kick out a tenant and put a new tenant in and increase the income of the property and make it more valuable? In Canada, we have this unique opportunity where policy environment will be designed to help us create density, create more units because we're in a housing crisis and we're not going to get out of a housing crisis within the next decade. And so we as real estate investors in Canada have unique opportunity. All we have to do is create that value. It'll show up on our appraisals. It'll show up on our refinances. It'll show up on our income statements, right? It'll show up on the valuation of our property. All you got to do is you got to be willing to work hard to create housing. Great answer, guys. And no, we can't stop the podcast right here. Sorry. I want to keep going. (laughs) 
So actually, I got it, Dan, you kind of got me thinking here. So in Alberta, we have a little bit more fair tenancy act. And if we're having problems with a, say, a renter, we can get them out. You know, maybe it's two weeks, maybe four max. Wow. BC, That's music BC, to our ears here. I in know. Ontario. BC, it's kind of like the ballpark number, you would say maybe two months. And then we've heard the horror stories in Ontario where it could take up to two years. So for anybody that would be listening from Ontario, is there a way you guys as investors to protect yourself like what happens and is there any way to kind of protect yourself to get those people out sooner because you said it went 16 months yeah so we're seeing like some people go the medium-term rental route on airbnb and it seems to be like again so a medium-term rental tenant could just arbitrarily decide that they're a long-term rental tenant one day and you would still need to use the board to get out of them so you're not a hundred percent absolved from that risk but that's a way so like you know medium-term rental is 28 day minimum on Airbnb. A lot of people are going that route, but the municipalities are starting to respond by, you know, legislating that opportunity away. So that's probably number one. Number two is really just happens in the acquisition phase, which is buying fourplexes, you know, buying buildings where you have a risk mitigation built in, where if you lose one unit or if somebody stops paying, you're a little bit hedged there. And that comes with its own unique problems where tenants can piss each other off and cause each other to want to stop paying rent or go to the board or whatever. And then number three is tenant acquisition process. It's treating your tenant like a customer, understanding it's a business relationship, understanding how you can meet their needs and picking the right person that you want to provide your product to. And to me, those are really the only three ways to solve the problem. And then I think like actively the operational side is like not being a shitty landlord. If there's a problem, solve it quickly. Because then, you know, I mean, one of the big ones in Ontario that a lot of tenants use is plumbing related issues. Like you can withhold rent if there's plumbing related issues, right? So there's a lot of these things and tenants are super well informed. So you got to be a good landlord. You have to be good at the business of providing housing to mitigate risk. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talk about this all the time, whether it's residential, commercial, industrial, tenants are the real asset, right? You might have the best duplex ever. And if both of those tenants or even one of them isn't paying rent and, and causing issues and anyone listening that owns properly, we've all had our fair share of, you know, minor stressful and majorly stressful issues. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much other to add other than decisions are made on the buy as well. So if you're buying and you're buying a building that, you know, there's a bunch of headaches and you've received the rent roll and you know there's a bunch of blank spots on it, well, then you know what you're getting into, but that is a value add situation right there it just depends on if you're the right person to be able to manage that type of value add the only other thing and you know not a really a huge advocate for this is the cash for keys route that's gotten a lot more expensive than it used to as dan said a lot of tenants and just people in general have heard some horror stories in the news about that kind of stuff and i know investors that are going that route right now and they're offering a few thousand dollars to tenants to vacate a property and the tenants are coming back saying they want, you know, 25 grand to leave kind of thing, right? So, you know, it stops making sense. So it's really about if you're buying a building and there's a bunch of BS going on in it, you know, you better figure out how to work that into your performa and have like a, you know, a two-year window of whatever vacancy you need to write into that. And then when you're picking your own tenants, you know, do your due diligence, right? Like, yes, you've got the great asset. You know, you think buying the house was the hard part. It's not. It's managing that asset afterwards that, you know, that's where the real money is either made or lost. For sure, yeah. Now, is there any kind of investors or any, is there a community, are they lobbying Ontario government maybe to make some legislation changes so it's a cleaner, quicker process? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, uh, 
Look, the landlord tenant board. Allegedly, is, I think is yeah. the answer. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, they they hired a bunch more. I think they hired forty more adjudicators, and they were at forty or something like that. So they've doubled their workforce to solve the problem. It's just like I don't know necessarily if that's the core issue. I guess we're gonna find out. And they're dealing with such a backlog that's gonna take yeah. a while for it to be. We'll, like to, we'll be able to, to answer that in about two years, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll have you back on the show. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> My guess would be, no, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I legitimately think you almost need to privatize that court or privatize mediation of that court. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. And then where you guys have such a, a broad view of the Canadian market, is there some markets that you guys are more hot on, like that you would say, hey, I'm watching this market or maybe I'm actively investing here? Yeah, you're yeah. sitting in one of them. <laughs> I'm actually no longer exceptionally bullish from an upward price trajectory trend on Calgary. I still think the returns are pretty good, but I think probably growth is kind of tapped out for a bit, probably for the cycle. I like markets that are inefficiently priced, that have exposure to the diversification of the Canadian economy. You know, Calgary is the obvious one, or Alberta is the obvious one from an oil perspective. But I mean, that's not really diversification of the economy. Like to me, oil is already a part of our economy, oil and housing and cannabis, maybe like, I mean, really, we don't have that much going for Canada. We have some tech, we have some finance, we have a good banking system. I mean, banking system depends a lot on housing. Diversification of the Canadian economy is going to be the biggest theme for the next decade if we don't want to fall into the fate that the OECD has predicted for us, which is to be the lowest performing advanced economy for economic growth or for GDP growth in the world over the next 40 years, so till 2060. So if we want to break that fate that's set out for us, we need to start investing in things like potash and things like lithium mining and things like battery metals and things like that the world needs and things like literally cryptocurrency mining as an example. Like we have cold climate, so you have exceptional heat dissipation skills and some of the cheapest electricity in the world and the cheapest green electricity in the world. Like there's so many ways that the Canadian economy could be diversified. You have to guess which one we're most likely to pursue. And then you can create real estate exposure around that. So if you like gold mining, as an example, you might buy houses in Kirkland Lake, Ontario. If you like, you know, potash, it would be maybe in Saskatoon, um, you know, and just try to get that exposure there. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a ton to add to that. I would say that Yes, there's always, you know, go and find a new market. And, you know, I can't do that for you. That's going to take whoever's endeavoring on that path. That's going to take a lot of work and a lot of research. And you're likely going to go there and speak to people that have been doing it there, whether it's realtors, mortgage agents, contractors, other investors, et cetera. I'm also a big advocate that you can make a deal happen anywhere. You know, obviously downtown Toronto, downtown Vancouver, Maybe not so much, but you know, there's a lot of opportunity across the country. And we're in a market now where you can get creative, right? A deal might not be a deal until you add a VTB on it. A deal might not be a deal until you get it vacant possession. Deal might not be a deal until you figure out, oh, I can actually add two more units to this. So, you know, deals aren't looking as traditional and simple as they used to. I'm a full believer that wherever you are in whatever neighborhood, I bet you within an hour or two drive, you can go find some pretty damn good deals. Great answer, guys. And I was going to ask about some headwinds that you guys are seeing, but Dan, you already kind of touched on the headwinds there with your answer. Well, I think the big headwind to me is recession, right? Like I think a lot of people are saying, oh, we're going to see rate cuts by next year. Well, we're only going to see rate cuts if we're in a recession. And if we're in a recession, I mean, we can all establish our own thesis on what's going to happen as a result of that. But I think unemployment rises, 
people experience financial stress, what happens to the real estate market in that world? Because all that happens before rates get cut. And so like, I don't know if rate cuts are necessarily a tailwind for real estate that people want it to be. I think rate cuts mean that there's pain between now and, and then. For sure. You guys were up on the news and all the, but the banks put out, I think it was 2.5 billion for loan defaults aside, right? Do you guys see that possibly having an effect on the real estate market in the next say 12 to 24 months? Yeah, I mean, that's a big question. I mean, it's great to see that that money has been put aside, but you know, I think there's much larger figures that are, you know, a little scarier. Uh, you know, the fact that we're within the next three years likely to see most mortgages in Canada come up for renewal, right? Most mortgage terms are going to be up within the next two to three years, whether you signed a five year you know, at the beginning of COVID or whether you just renewed at some point at a low rate and you're on a variable. I mean, the variable people are already experiencing pain. The fixed people will experience like major sticker shock. You know, 2.5 billion the banks put away, that's great. One, will they use it or will they try to keep that money, you know, as long as they can and just keep doing crazy things like extending amortizations and coming out with new mortgage product? You know, really tough to say, I'm not in the business of predicting anything. You know, it's funny. I have these conversations with clients literally all the time as to what we're advising, you know, and everyone's like, okay, well, you know, I only want a one or two year because I've read or heard that mortgage rates are going to be down. I'm like, okay, yes. It's just as likely they go up again, you know, in the next year or two that they come down. Right. I mean, there's so much volatility in the world right now socioeconomic volatility, you know, what's happening with America on the global stage, what's happening with the Russia-Ukraine conflict and how that could escalate, what's happening with inflation all over the world. All of that, to be honest, is just noise at the end of the day. A good investment isn't going to be made or, you know, make or break by the banks having enough money for a loan default. I mean, could it affect the overall economy and have, you know, semi-devastating effects? Yeah, of course it could. Will it? I don't think so, but Dan's the macro guy out of the two of us. So I'll let him jump in. He's probably got a much better answer than I do. I don't, I don't know, really know if I necessarily have one, right? Like, I think that um, the reality is it doesn't really matter. Like the bank of Canada doesn't really matter. The federal reserve matters. And if they go past the projected trajectory, which, you know, the bank of Canada, I think thinks that they're going to hike, you know, twice more after we halted. So they've already done once. So if they hike another 25 bips then they stay there, then I think they've met the Bank of Canada's assumptions and we'll probably not have to change. Assuming all things equal, inflation gets under control, et cetera, et cetera. And the Canadian dollar doesn't really get destroyed as a result of the disparity in hiking schedules. But beyond that, I mean, I don't really think that there's anything else to think about. It's really just like, we'll pay attention to Jerome Powell, pay attention to, you know, kind of the geopolitical I guess, economic warfare that's going on and de-dollarization conversations, et cetera. But otherwise, like, I think it's just let the market continue to do its thing. Let the bond market continue to do its thing. Watch what those do because they're both pricing mechanics for mortgages. And then we kind of just go from there. Great answer. I'm going to throw this one in just because, but do you think the AI is going to impact the economy or have a pretty significant impact on, I guess, our global economies or Canadian economy in say the next five years, when I look at what it's doing and the evolution and how it's exponentially just changing things, I don't know. I'm, I'm personally a little bit concerned, but I really don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. I mean, I've a high level of, has anyone seen Black Mirror? Yeah. You know, I, th I think that's uh, 
you know, a lot of that when it came out a few years ago, it was, wow, that would be crazy if this happened. And literally a few years later, it's actually happening. You know, I follow it to a certain extent, you know, chat GPT and the robotics stuff that's happening and a mixture of robotics and AI. I mean, you know, in some cases, it's very exciting to see. In other cases, to be honest, I find it kind of terrifying. Um, <laughs> so I'll leave it there because I don't really know enough to truly speak on it. But, you know, I do know that Elon Musk, of all people, and other, you know, global tech leaders, if you want to call them that, have actually called for, and I believe this is true, but have actually called for like a pause on AI development until we can actually figure out, you know, are we going to make these things too smart and they're going to come back and take over and, and kill us? I, I don't know. So I'm going to stop it there before I have to go get some tinfoil. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't like. I'm, I don't think I'm exceptionally qualified to be part of that kind of discussion. But if I had to guess, I would say I think it's going to have a, a pretty big impact. But I think it'll probably take a while. So I don't know if five years would be the right outlook. Like, I think we're probably entering into a new cycle of you know we went through like the industrial revolution, right? Agricultural revolution. I feel like you're kind of going through this like intelligence revolution, and I think that that's like a twenty year cycle rather than like a five year one. I do think it's going to be a lot of change and I think it's going to result in some like seismic shifts in the way that we do life. But uh, I don't know if it's going to happen all at once. Great answers, guys. I kind of feel the same way. I find it fascinating and a little bit terrifying all at the same time and lots of unknowns there and obviously no regulation either. So yeah, it's a bit of wild west, right? Okay. Last question. Then I'm going to ask you guys some personal stuff and then we'll end the show. But are you guys investing in the US right now or are you kind of starting to look at maybe some options down there? Yeah, so I invest in the US as an LP, but not direct investing. And a lot of that was kind of just like tax understanding and stuff like that and capital. I guess I just didn't really have the check sizes necessary to do the stuff I wanted to do on the direct investing, but I will be like, that's that's really, it's a big part of the short-term goals for me is to be doing some direct investing in the States. Yeah, I mean, I'm the exact same. I mean, we're working with some larger institutional partners on the lending side of things that has really opened our eyes to what's possible down there. We're also, we've been engaging a lot more with American investors, whether it be podcast, Dan's live Twitter spaces that he hosts every Thursday. I mean, Grant Cardone was literally on a few weeks ago. So if you're a Twitter user, go check those out. I think Canadians in general are probably fascinated by, you know, the abilities that the everyday person has in the States to turn real estate into wealth, right? So Short answer, not yet, but very soon. Similar to Dan, something that I'm working on. Awesome. This one just came to me. Have you guys ever thought about doing your podcast in Hawaii or something, something more tropical? And like, hey, we can do our research <laughs> here. We can like do of our course. shows. Because Matt, I would be doing it if I could. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's just like a scale question, right? Like, I think if we get to the point where it's monetized to the point where that makes sense, then absolutely. Like, uh, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Canada. I don't actually find the climate all that bad, but like, there is a certain period of time, like, and it's around this time of year where you're like, ah, it'd be nice if winter just ended already. Right. So I think if I could buy myself maybe a month gap in the middle of winter, like to do things else, I would definitely pursue that. And it's also within the short term plan and also related to investing in the US. You know, and you guys know Calgary was rated the third most livable city in the world last year. Right. And there was plenty of days this past winter where I really questioned that rating because I wanted <laughs> I wanted out of Calgary. Yeah, it was just it's, nasty. It's funny. Weather. I think every single Canadian, I, I don't speak for everyone, I'm going to get in trouble for that. But let's just say I, a lot of the people that I speak to, I think they want out for you know a two to three month period. And I think we all know what those months are. And you know, again, I echo Dan, I love Canada. 
super bullish on Canada, love Canadian real estate, love Canadians as people. You know, I don't like when it gets dark at five o'clock and it's freezing cold and there's a foot of snow and I live in a city and it's not pretty when it snows down here. It gets really ugly really fast. So uh, if we could do the podcast out of like Costa Rica or California or something <laughs> like that for a month or two, hell yes. Amazing. Okay, so a couple of quick personal questions. You guys got a favorite book or movie you, you would recommend to the listeners? My favorite books would be uh, Awareness by Anthony DeMello and um, The Fourth Turning. My favorite movie, it's a tough one, honestly. I really like watching The Big Short. I just find it like, I mean, it's a stacked cast. It's entertaining. It's culturally relevant. It's something that probably everybody should know and understand. So I think it's just an exceptionally good, like valuable piece of film. Yeah. Yeah, for books, for me, I'm just going to kind of blanket statement and say anything by Malcolm Gladwell, I think provides a ton of psychological insight and having a more deep understanding of the economy, you realize what consumer sentiment does and understanding people in real estate's a relationship business. So anything by Malcolm Gladwell is fantastic. I just saw the movie Air like last week, I think, with Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Chris Tucker, another absolute stacked cast. It's the story of Nike trying to sign Michael Jordan and building a shoe around him. I'm a entrepreneur through and through. I've been starting businesses for like 12 years. That movie was just the absolute best. I also love like 70s and 80s music and it was just full of that. So great cast, great soundtrack and amazing story. I'd recommend everyone go see it. Awesome. I'm going to have to check that one out. Last question. Where's a place you guys would travel that you haven't been yet? What's something on your bucket list to go to? I've done a lot of Europe. I have not done Greece. Really want to get to Greece in the next little while. I'd like to go to Japan. It just, uh, yeah, just fascinates me. I haven't been to either one, but I'd love to go to both as well. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll do the next podcast there. Who knows? That'd be awesome. <laughs> okay. So guys, thank you so much for being on the show. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you? There's also going to be links in the show notes as well, but. Yeah, just reach out over socials and I can speak for both of us. We're super active on all social media. Maybe not TikTok for me so much, but Dan's got a killer audience on there. DM us and we'll get back to you. There's also an email in every episode of our podcast. There's an email in the show notes. We're not hard guys to find. You want to get in touch with us, you can. Probably to answer the question in the wrong way, the best way for people to get in touch with me is patiently. I would say just, <laughs> you know, you can reach out to me on any platform, but just understand that making content is a lot of work and responding to messages is also a lot of work. So I will get back to you, but uh, it might take me a little bit. But if you just Google my name, I have a very weird last name. Typically, Google will give you the platform that you want to find me on. So wherever I'm on everything. So Awesome. How close are you guys? Last question. How close are you guys getting to the million downloads? Have you hit it or you're, you're we're, close, right? we're almost halfway there. So we're okay. hoping to have a million by the end of the year. Yeah, we're getting about 60,000 downloads a month and growing about between 5 and 10% at this point. So still early days for us, still a long, long way to go, a lot of work to do. But yeah, we've got to have those goals and work towards them. Amazing. Yeah, those are huge numbers already. Like that's amazing, guys. Thank Thanks you so, so much, much for being on the show, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Corey. I appreciate the opportunity. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at Peckford Corey, or my website is 
CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short. Please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.